It's 837, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, it's having a really good weekend, and, and yesterday was, it was a productive day. After putting off, getting all the tax stuff together, yesterday was the day I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to bite the bullet, sit down, get it all organized so I can get it over to the accountant because it, it's got to be done. So, I, I, I accomplished that. As I'm sitting there doing that, I'm, I'm starting to feel like I've got a cold coming on, and so... There's a couple ways you can deal with colds that come on. I mean, the you could ignore them. You can drink a lot of vitamin C. You can take a lot of vitamin C, drink orange juice. You can take zinc. Or you can go into the medicine chest that, and find the, the strongest over-the-counter cold stuff you can. I, I found, like, some nighttime NyQuil, you know, the, the, not the non-drowsy stuff. And I decide, okay, well, we'll, we'll take a couple of those because maybe I need some rest and then it's like, well, all right, what am I going to wash this down with? Well, I, I know I've got this 130-proof bourbon sitting here, and so let's find just the right mix to you know, help you sleep but you know, not stop your heart. So I do this about 7 o'clock, and I, I was watching the Oscars. I saw the beginning of it. I thought Jimmy Kimmel's opening thing was okay. I thought Ryan Gosling was pretty good. I watched a couple of the first things, and then, and then the NyQuil and the bourbon kicked in, and I fell asleep until about... Oh nine fifteen, when my little dog Sasha decided she wanted to wake me up because she knew I wanted to see the end of the Oscars, and she also had to go outside. So I I wake up, and so I did watch. I watched the end of them as I was just saying to Jean and Jane and Doug, I, as somebody who emcees lots and lots of events, sometimes stuff goes wrong, and you have to have an awareness that that this is going on. For example. Thursday night, I emceed this big Boy Scout extravaganza out in Washington in, uh, at uh, the Country Springs Hotel in Waukesha County. And, and what we do is we have, there, there's probably 80 or 90 young men who have their Eagle Scout awards, and, and they're, they're recognized. They come up on stage, and we have two microphones. On one side of the stage, the, the young man will come up. He'll say what his name is. And I'm on the other side, and I have a, I have a folder. And the folder has a little description in it of, of what each young man has done. You know, um, you know, Hondo is from Troop Whatever in Bayview, and uh, he this is what his Eagle Service Project was, etc. Well, sometimes what happens is that the the sheets get out of order. For they're supposed to be alphabetized, but sometimes where or some kid shows up or doesn't show up, and so the young man will come up, he'll say a name, and that's not the name that's on the the sheet. Well, I guess there's two things I could do. Some kid comes up and says, he's Bruce, and my sheet says it's supposed to be Vince. I could read the thing for Vince, or I could pause for a minute, recognizing that there is an error here, and kind of look forward or back till I find the, the right one. And I try to, instead of just blasting ahead, you try to find the right one. Anybody who does this at all knows that that's what you do. So last night, of course, everybody's heard about the most epic fail in, in Oscar history, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, this is the 50th anniversary of Bonnie and Clyde. Well, okay, so so they come out. They're going to be the presenters of Best Picture, Outstanding Motion Picture. And I guess the way it works is on both sides of the stage, offstage, you've got the accountant, accounting people from Pricewaterhouse, and they have envelopes, and they give, you, they give you the sealed envelope before you walk out on stage. My guess is also there's apparently like multiple multiple envelopes for different categories, I guess in case somebody spills coffee or something, whatever. So there's a couple envelopes that say outstanding actress. So Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, they are there to present the outstanding picture. They walk out, and on the outside of the envelope, it says outstanding actress. 
Now, I, I look, I don't claim to be as smart as these Hollywood types, but the key would be if I'm there to present an award for outstanding motion picture and the envelope says outstanding actress, that would tell me that maybe maybe there's something wrong. Okay. So they get up there. Warren Beatty gives kind of this rambling lefty speech that I, I didn't quite understand, but but that's okay. And then they get around to presenting it. So they open the envelope that on the outside of it says outstanding actress in a motion picture. And when they open it up, it's the card. And the card says Emma Stone, La La Land, outstanding actress in a motion picture. That's what the card says. And that is the award that Emma Stone had just gotten, I don't know, 10 minutes ago. Well, again, this is the point in time where maybe maybe if you're the presenter, you realize that something is going on here. You're there for outstanding motion picture, and you've got a card that says Emma Stone, La La Land, outstanding actress. Now, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's too much to expect. I mean, I understand these Hollywood types are used to going off scripts and things, but you would think that at some point in time, this red flag is going to go up, and you're going to realize that there there is a mistake here. I have been given the wrong card. So what do you do? First of all, you've got to recognize that you've been given the wrong card. I guess that's number one. And number two, maybe you just kind of like make a signal to whoever one of the handlers are and say, I think you've given me the wrong card. Uh-uh. Well, that's not what Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway do. They just go ahead and read, not Emma Stone, not Outstanding Actress, but they just read La La Land. And, of course, everybody thinks La La Land is one, and they come up, and the folks from La La Land start giving their speech. And then then the uh, producer of La La Land, who apparently is pulled off to the side and told it's a mistake after a couple minutes, comes running back and says, no, this other Moonlight one. And so, and, and you, you can watch it all. But at some point in time, and I understand the accounting firm is taking the blame for all this, and, and I get it, they gave the guy the wrong card. But at some point in time, wouldn't you think that the, the presenter in this case, who is, in this case, Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty, who you would got to imagine are not unfamiliar with public speaking, at some point in time would recognize that instead of just reading the card that does not relate at all to why they are there, would have recognized that maybe we should we should take a step back. So anyways, the accounting firm is going to take the heat for it, and it is it is great TV. You do feel bad for the ultimate winner because they um, – you know they did not get their moment in the sh- in the sun, and their victory is going to be overshadowed by the, this huge mistake that was there. But I mean, really, Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, you're there to present outstanding motion picture, and you read the card for outstanding actress, huh? All right, three big things. We start off the program with this every day. It's things that I think you need to know to talk about at the water cooler, or the coffee closet, or at lunch. We start with the Oscars. Now, I did not watch the entire show, like I say. The, uh, the NyQuil and the bourbon knocked me out for about an hour and 15 minutes. But I watched the beginning, and I certainly watched the last you know hour plus. I watched a lot of the pre-stuff, too. Everybody shows up wearing the ACLU pins. This is the same ACLU that is suing the city of Milwaukee, trying to make the streets of Milwaukee less safe for law-abiding citizens. So they're all wearing the ACLU pins. Um, a number of the speeches were... Political. I don't know that any mentioned President Trump by name, but there was all these political digs about, well, we need to be inclusive and this and that and, and the other thing. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Now, Meryl Streep did not win for Outstanding Actress. So, uh, obviously, 
It was less political than it would have been had she won. But if you watched the Oscars, were you turned off by the politics, or do you think it was kept in a relatively restrained fashion? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Too much politics or no? We discuss next. 414-799-1620 is the number. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 845. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 849, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. By the way, um, the the flap over naming the wrong picture as outstanding motion picture wasn't the only big mistake. They they did this, um, actually, I thought it was very well done, that a woman singing Send in the Clowns, and it was the, it was the in memoriam, it was the... They were showing pictures of all the people in the industry who had passed away during the past year. And very nice, except there was an oops moment. The, the video mentioned a woman named Janet Patterson, a four-time Oscar, knee, uh, Oscar nominee from Australia, um, who, had, who had passed away. And um, she was a, a, costu- a deceased costume designer. So they had the name right, and they had where she was from, and they had the, the thing. Only problem is they had the wrong picture. <laughs> they, they had the picture of um, apparently a film producer from Australia, a woman named Jen Chapman, who is very al- alive and well, who apparently was watching this and said, that's my picture. I'm still here. But, of course, that all sort of pales in comparison to what happened at the end. Okay, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. If you watched the Oscars last night, do you think it was too political? Chris in Shorewood. Chris, you're first. Good morning. Um, Jeff, I think it was somewhat political, but I think they kept it pretty well at bay, at least from what I could see. And it was also nice that the tour bus dropped off those people so they could meet the celebrities. That was a nice surprise. Yeah, the um, I, I will say this, that the, the, the political digs, I thought, were more subtle. They, they, were, they were more subtle. I thought there was a lot of them, but it, it wasn't... Trump sucks. It was more like here. This is we're artists, and we're the people that are standing up for inclusiveness, and you know we're we're on the leading edge of this. So it was more, it was more subtle as opposed to I think what some of the things have been. Just everyone having a good time for a change. Um, thanks. Well, I mean, and of course, and then of course, again, by by subtle, I mean if you were wondering about what the the ribbons that everybody was wearing were those those were ribbons uh, designed to show support for the ACLU. This is, of course, the ACLU, like I say, that's suing the city of Milwaukee, trying to make it uh, less safe on the streets for average citizens. I thought I thought it was going to be worse, and I think part of that might be a reflection of who the various winners were. Like I said, if Meryl Streep had won, I think it would have been kind of like Katie Barr, the door. Um, Emma, Stro- Emma Stone was much less political and much more personal. Um, I don't think that the humor was quite as biting as it could have been, but there, there's no question about where Hollywood stands. I will be interested to see what the, the final ratings are on this, because at least off the top of my head, my first of all, there, there's no this wasn't a year um, where you had like one incredibly popular movie that everybody loved. La La Land, I guess, to an extent. But I mean, I'm, I'm willing to bet that most people hadn't seen the vast majority of the movies that, that got awards. I mean, I'm a movie fan, and the only one I think I'd seen was Hidden Figures, which was outstanding. But I, 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 I'd be curious to see what the final um, the final ratings are going to be, because I think on the one hand, the, the lack of just a huge movie that everybody loved is going to influence it, 
And I do think that there's probably some people who perhaps in anticipation of political stuff said, you know what, we're, we're going to take a pass. Bar rescue's on. We'll check that out. Uh, Dan in West Dallas. Dan, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, I thought it was very political. Um, I, um, Jimmy Kimmel, I thought, was very biased to the left. Years ago, I've been watching this. I'm 65 for yeah. all these years. And like Bob Hope used to balance it. Right. You know, they used to go left and right. right. But there was no balance, I didn't think. And oh, no, no. There, there, there's definitely no balance. And there's no, there's no question... It's all going to be digs against the conservatives and the right. The only question is how far to the left are they going to go? And you, you, so you were kind of turned off by what you saw. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, you know, it was, it was. I thought it was as, as bad as the Golden Globes. I, I don't, I don't know. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd watch it. I mean, much. Well, I, I don't I, have the enthusiasm anymore. Period. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that I think that is going to be one of the. I I think that's going to be one of the questions as to whether award shows like this. Um, is there going to be a backlash to people who disagree with the the Hollywood left? And it's, it's pretty much a unified position. It's the Hollywood left who just disagree with being preached to by people who live in this this bubble on the left coast. So um, I, I'll be curious to see what the ultimately the ratings are. I don't think it was as bad as it could have been. But um, there's no question it was political and it continues to be political. Coming up, big thing number two, voting, voting in Wisconsin. The rules might be getting ready to change back again. Stick around. 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number two on Friday. The state of Wisconsin's appeal of a Dane of a federal judge in Madison's ruling striking down aspects of Wisconsin's newest voting laws. The appeal was heard and argued in front of the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. Now, I've said this before. You can go broke trying to guess what an appellate court is going to do. But I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb in saying the appellate court that heard this argument was not impressed with the Dane County federal judge's rulings. Um, apparently, they were peppering the the people who were supporting the judge um, with questions and didn't seem to be buying it. This is the judge which said, for example, that the state doesn't have the right to set up uniform voting periods. You know, for example, that the law says early voting has to be held by uniform standards, that you you can't. You can't open up the polls in Milwaukee or Madison two weeks earlier than you open up the polls in La Crosse. And the federal judge struck that down. It is a stunning, in my opinion, a stunningly bad and dumb decision. And apparently the Seventh Circuit was having none of that. It's like, well, what you mean you mean to tell me that you think that a state loses the right to control when statewide elections can be held in the terms and you know if if um the idea is that Milwaukee or Madison wants to keep the polls open longer. They have the right to do it. I don't think the court was hearing any of that. They they were also weren't buying this idea as to, you know, the fact that you have to live in a particular ward like 50 days before the election in order to vote. I mean, all those different, all these different things. So if I were to guess, my guess is the Wisconsin law on early voting, most of the Wisconsin law changes, including voter ID, uh, contrary to rulings by a couple district courts, particularly a district court out of Madison, my guess is the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit is going to uphold the law, 
stand with the governor, stand with the legislature. I don't know that it's going to be in time for the April election, but moving forward, I think these common sense rules that the legislature put in place, I think moving forward, they are going to be in place for future elections. That's certainly the way the arguments seem to go. Coming up next, big thing number three, are the cops really doing us a favor if they don't tell immigration about people who are dangerous and about to be released? Stick around. It's 859, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 908, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A couple quick notes. Sometime this hour, before 10 o'clock, we will be giving away a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters of Pink Floyd fame at the uh, BMO Harris Bradley Center in late July. Matter of fact, during this hour of the program, every day this week, we will be giving away a pair of tickets. Don't call now. I'll, I'll tell you when you have a chance to call. But uh, a pair of tickets each day this week to see Roger Waters. Also, let me call your attention to our, um, our WTMJ.com. We have a number of things posted up um, every day. What they do is... Our three big things segment and a couple other segments get posted as well. Plus, um, we now have our podcast page. You can download my podcast, the podcast of my show, and I know lots of people are doing it. I appreciate that. Sports Central and also podcasts of a number of voices that you don't hear on, on the radio, um, at least not yet. And so some really interesting stuff. So check out the WTMJ mobile app and the podcast page. It's uh, I know a lot of people work very hard on that, and it's uh, sort of exciting to see it all come together. Okay. Big thing number three, are the cops doing us a favor not cooperating with immigration officials? The, the whole, when you hear the term detainer, uh, what a detainer is, is a detainer is a, a document. Let's say somebody gets arrested by a local police agency and they are wanted in another jurisdiction for something. So the detainer is a notice, a notification that the person is wanted. And what you do is you file the detainer. You notify, for example, the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department. They pick up somebody for drunk driving. They, they run a check on the person, and it turns out that they are wanted for murder out of New York. Well, all right, the, the detainer serves to notify the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department that there's, that there's a warrant out for this person. So... You've got him. Don't release him until you tell us so we have a chance to go pick him up. That's what a detainer is, is all about. Detain the person so we can pick them up to you know act on why it is that we want him or her. Now, th- this whole brouhaha that is developed with sanctuary cities and such is a number of cities have decided we don't want to cooperate with federal immigration officials. So if we are notified, if we have somebody who's in custody for whatever reason, and we learn that immigration wants them, well, we won't cooperate or we won't cooperate much. And again, a lot of the so-called immigrant rights people pat themselves on the back. That, that's good. We, why would you give somebody over to immigration? This is terrible. Well, here, here's what happens if you don't. The New York Times, of all places, had sort of an interesting story that's the launching point for big thing number three. The headline is, Trump immigration policy pose conflict for police in sanctuary cities. Let me read you a portion of it. President Trump's sweeping new immigration policies, which include efforts to shine a harsh national spotlight on cities 
that released undocumented immigrants who went on to be accused of serious crimes are sharply increasing the legal and political risks confronting local law enforcement officials. As Mr. Trump ratchets up the pressure on so-called sanctuary cities through what some advocates are denouncing as name and shame, as a name and shame campaign, name and shame being this is a sanctuary city, look what happened, to force them to work more closely with federal immigration authorities, police and sheriff's departments are being caught in a crossfire. Here's the story. In Denver, Sheriff Patrick Furman, who runs the local jail, has long received one set of instructions from the Democratic-run city government and local advocates. The city attorney warned him against detaining anyone without a warrant. The American Civil Liberties Union, those folks again, threatened to sue him if he did. Immigrants' rights groups applied an added deterrent of local political pressure. So the sheriff's department began doing what many law enforcement officers around the country have learned to do, balance the requests. When the Federal Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency wants to deport one of his inmates, the jail sends a fax notifying immigration before the inmate is about to walk free, leaving it to federal agents to show up and make an arrest. But the fax is not necessarily sent with a great deal of advance notice. In the case of Iver Valles, 19, a Mexican national waiting for trial for car theft, the Denver jail's facts. So the guy the guy is in this country illegally. Everybody knows he's in this country illegally. Um, they know that immigration wants him. The Denver jail's facts to immigration was sent in the middle of the night in late December, 10 hours after Mr. Valles posted bail, but less than a half hour before he walked free. ICE was nowhere to be seen. So they've got this guy. They know immigration wants him, but they wait until after he's posted bail and they send a fax in the middle of the night saying, hey, this guy is posted bail. He's going to be going free anytime. You better come get him. Well, they send it in the middle of the night. So, of course, nobody there is from their, there's from immigration. You know, they haven't given them enough notice to come and pick him up. So they let the guy go. Last Friday, Mr. Velez was charged with a much more serious crime murdering a man at a light rail station in a robbery gone awry. Now the sheriff is in the eye of a political storm that highlights the precarious position confronting many law enforcement officials. Immigration officials accused the sheriff of ignoring their detainer request. Had the officer for immigration been sitting at the fax machine in the middle of the night waiting for it to come in, he still would have not had enough time to come and get the guy. So the local sheriff knows that immigration wants the guy. They don't notify them that he's about to be released in a timely enough fashion to allow them to come and pick him up. So he just walks free. And in this case, the guy goes off and he kills somebody. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. This, to me, underscores what happens when you have local law enforcement officials that take it upon themselves to decide that they are not going to cooperate with immigration. And stories like this are going to keep happening over and over and over again. I think it is irresponsible for any law enforcement agency, and we don't have to worry about this in Milwaukee because David Clark, he's not turning people loose without giving immigration a chance to pick them up. But this idea that we are not going to cooperate when we have people who are wanted by immigration 
These are the things that it leads to. Okay, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Doesn't it make sense for federal law enforcement to have at least a reasonable chance to pick somebody up when they want them before a local community releases them, sanctuary city or not? And if you don't give immigration an opportunity to do this, and things like this happen, the illegal, undocumented alien goes out and commits a crime, doesn't that local community essentially have blood on their hands? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. I don't know about you. I want immigration to be given a reasonable chance to pick up people who are subject to deportation. If they're not, this is the type of thing that will happen. 414-799-1620 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. It's 916. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 919. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us on a Monday morning. Legendary musician Roger Waters is bringing all the hits of Pink Floyd to Milwaukee. He'll be at the BMO Harris Bradley Center on July 29th, and you could be there. Keep listening to my show all this week. For your chance to win a pair of tickets, we will be giving away a pair of tickets this morning sometime between now and 10 o'clock. Al in Sheboygan. Al, good morning. Morning. What do you think? Well, I think the law enforcement here has uh, has failed us because they did retain this person, and then they let him loose, and he yeah. goes out and does something stupid once more, and that just creates a whole bitter taste of uh, illegal yeah. immigrants here. There's one bad apple in the pile. And he makes it bad for a lot of good people. And well, it's because our system failed. Well, it is. I mean, thanks for calling. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, see, here's the thing. When, if, if I am a local sheriff and I'm running a jail and I know that somebody in my jail is wanted, whether it's by federal officials or by local officials in Macon, Georgia, or by federal immigration officials, there is no way in God's green earth that I am going to turn that person loose without at least giving the officials a reasonable opportunity to come pick him up. And somebody making bail in the evening, sending a fax to some customs office in the middle of the night, and then releasing the guy a couple hours later without giving immigration a chance to come pick him up, that is not a reasonable opportunity. And what you are doing when you do this is you are monkeying around with public safety because you never, I understand you get to feel good. You get to go to the, in Denver, it's a democratically run city hall and common council. And you get to say, hey, it, it, isn't this good? We, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't cooperate in a meaningful fashion with immigration and we let this guy loose. Okay. Now somebody is dead because the sheriff did not cooperate in a meaningful fashion. I just, you would not do this with other forms of law enforcement. Like I say, I mean, if I, if you've got, you pick somebody up and they're wanted for something in Macon, Georgia, and it's Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you want to give the people in Macon, Georgia, at least a reasonable opportunity to come go arrest the person or tell you that they're not interested. I mean, sometimes that, sometimes that's what happened. If you have if you have small-scale crimes, let's say you've got somebody who's wanted for bad checks out of Macon, Georgia. You know, you arrest him for something in Milwaukee County. You notify the people in Macon, Georgia, hey, we've got your guy. They say, it's just bad checks. We're not going to fly two cops across the country to pick him up for that. Okay, fine. Don't, don't worry about it. 
but you have to at least give them the chance to do that and to make that decision. And if you don't, you are playing around with public safety, and we're only going to hear more and more of these stories. It might make it might make some people on the left feel good, but at the end of the day, when one of these people who should have been deported is turned back out on the street and kills somebody, well, the people who devised this policy with regard to sanctuary cities, there's no other way to say it. They have blood on their hands. We, last week, we talked about this story. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who's the plays the villain in the Walking Dead TV show now, the, the, the character Nagin, who has this baseball bat that's wrapped in barbed wire, and he goes around hitting people in the head with it. I'm not a fan of, of Walking Dead. But in any event, the, and the way he decides who gets hit in a very famous scene in Walking Dead is he goes, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Um, T-shirt company comes out with a T-shirt that says, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, with this, the, the bat superimposed over this. We talked about it last week. And, of course, it, it's a reference to the scene in The Walking Dead. The T-shirt company has now pulled this because somebody starts complaining that eeny, meeny, miny, mo is inherently racist because decades ago, instead of eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a tiger by the toe, if he hollers, let him go, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, um, some people decades and decades ago might have used the N-word and substituted that for the word tiger. So decades ago, that's what happened. Uh, the company decides, okay, we're going to stop making this this T-shirt. And essentially, any of you who play eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you should know that at least some people think you are inherently racist. Anyhow, so uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who's the character in this, he responds to th- th- this whole controversy um, the claim that the shirt was racist and fantastically offensive. So they ask him, you know, what what do you what do you think about all this? And his line is simple: three words. People are stupid, <laughs> which which to me absolutely summarizes this. If you are offended by this, the the only thing you can say is that people are stupid. Because I appreciate that there is real racism in this world. I get it. But if you're going to be looking for things like this, now, if you don't want to buy the shirt, I get it. If you don't like the TV show The Walking Dead, believe me, I certainly get that. But the fact that eeny, meeny, miny, mo is now inherently racist and we have to eliminate it from the culture, I agree completely with Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um, people are stupid. It's 925, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, the, if anybody thought that things were going to calm down between Donald Trump and the quote-unquote mainstream media, uh, that has not that has not turned out to be the case. The coverage, in my opinion, of Donald Trump has been unrelentingly negative. There has been no honeymoon at all. For example, today's Washington Post has a story where the, the, the Post reporters go to Iowa and have, were looking for people who voted for Trump who now say, Gee, we're having second thoughts. I, you could do that story about any president. You, you could do that. You could have done it about Barack Obama. You could have done it about George Bush. You could do that story about any president, but, but they didn't. But this is the idea. We're going to try to diminish and demean Donald Trump. And so you get this unrelentingly negative coverage. Now, there, there's no question in my mind, and I think it's you just you can see I can't even argue that the you know mainstream media has liberal biases in it, um, and that's reflected in the people who you know are 
at the various networks and who write for a lot of the newspapers. Not everybody, but but there is clearly, I think, a, a liberal bias as far as coverage. This is not the liberal bias. This is a retaliation. We're out to get Donald Trump, and that's been that's been clear. And in response, Donald Trump has taken a position that I, I think a lot of presidents would have liked to have taken, but never did. And he, he's just going out. He's a, he's going out after him. He's at uh, CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee meeting, on Friday. He says, the fake news doesn't tell you the truth. It doesn't represent the people. It doesn't and never will represent the people. And we're going to do something about it. And then what, what happens is, later on on Friday, the, the press secretary apparently invites some reporters, but not everybody in the press pool in. And he says, well, we're going to aggressively push back. We're not going to just sit back and let you know false narratives, false stories, inaccurate facts get out there. And, of course, when you challenge the press in that fashion, they then dig in their heels and they go after Trump even more. So right now you have the the mainstream media just, as a general rule, anything they can do to try to bring down Donald Trump. And you get Donald Trump who is fighting back vigorously. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Is this fight good for the country? Because to me, that, that's... That is the ultimate question, and this is one of those things where maybe you'll disagree with me. I don't think anybody's right. This is one where if it is possible for everybody to be wrong, this is one where I think everybody is wrong. I think Trump deserves credit for exposing and pointing out the inherent bias that exists in lots of aspects in the mainstream media. I think he is correct to be bothered by the unrelentingly negative, let's go out and get you, gotcha tone of the stories that are there. I mean, seriously, you're going to go out, you're going to interview people. Hey, have you have you have second thoughts about this? How about trying to interview people who didn't vote for him? And maybe they'd say, hey, we, we think he's doing a good job. So you've got this relentlessly negative drumbeat that's out there. And I think it is fair for him to point that out. At the same time, while there is this bias that's there, I think you go too far when you suggest that you know newspaper reporters or editors or the people at the mainstream TV networks are, I, I don't know, somehow evil and are promoting the whole concept of fake news. I mean, they're, they cover stuff. They show their biases when they cover stuff. But the truth is, you know, the rollout of a lot of stuff from the Trump administration has been questionable at best ham-handed, ill-considered, or whatever. And when you're going to do some of those things, and when you're going to roll out, for example, uh, an immigration policy without thinking through the ramifications of what do we do with people who have green cards or something like that, you are going to, you're going to get negative coverage. Now, obviously, I think Donald Trump has decided that it's in his political interest to put him, to portray himself as a victim and say, hey, I'm, I'm being smeared by the mainstream media. Here, support me. And I, I think I was reading, somebody was writing over the weekend that the Trump has kind of decided that if if by smearing five people, I can mean that six people, it means that six people will support me, I, I'm ahead on points. And I, I guess I understand the political calculus of that. But candidly, I, I don't think it's good for the country to have a president at war. And this is what this is. This is at war with the mainstream media. Now, what's going to have to happen is, and I don't see it happening, 
mainstream media, the New York Times is of the world, you know, have to acknowledge that we do and have we we are going to back off a little bit with the unrelentingly negative coverage unless we find impeachable offenses or something like that. We got to reflect that the tone has been unfair because I think the tone has been at the same time. The president has to recognize that reporters have a job to do, for goodness sakes, and that you are going to and you should expect to be critically covered and criticized when you in fact deserve it and the truth is that there's a lot of stuff that's been going on that that he deserves to be criticized for 414-799-1620-800-877-1620 but my big takeaway is i i don't think the mainstream media is winning i don't think trump is winning i don't think anybody's winning tony in fond du Lac. tony good morning you're in 620 wtmj yes good morning jeff how are you i am well thank you good Hey, I agree with you. I don't know if anybody's winning. I think it's a necessary step, though. And and in the end, personally, I think the main street media is cutting their own throat. Uh, I I think in a few years we're going to see another drastic downturn mm-hmm. in in circulation and, and you know clicks and everything else. You know, it, I'm I'm the perfect candidate. For a newspaper, I like the newspaper. Right. I read. I read a lot. I'm the perfect candidate. I do not get the Journal Sentinel, and I never would because I consider the content to be crappy. Mm-hmm. It's crappy content. As far so as crappy, think, you mean you, you mean you consider it to be biased? It's it's biased and okay. one sided and slanted and mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I love a I love a good discussion about views and I and I guess in some ways. I'm somewhat argumentative about my point of view, and I don't mind someone else telling me theirs. But, but to me, it's crappy content. And I think what's going to happen is more and more people are going to be like me, and they're going to look at whether it's the New York Times or the Post or you know right. whatever or, or MSNBC or CNN or you know they're, they're going to look and say this is any good. It's bad journalism. Right, and, and it's just fundamentally unfair. Now, th- thanks, thanks for calling. W- without even getting into the concept of, of this whole fake news thing, and there's, there, there is no question that the, and again, I'm using the term media, and it, it's this monolithic type of thing, and I understand that there's different outlets that do different things, but there's no question that the media, the media is not used, the news media is not used to being attacked in this fashion by the President of the United States. So instead of being at all introspective and recognizing that, you know, maybe, maybe there is a point to some of this, Maybe the relentlessly negative coverage that we are giving, maybe we have gone too far. Now, they're not capable of that. And, of course, Donald Trump, on the other hand, is not capable of acknowledging that, well, maybe we've made some mistakes here, and maybe what I am seeing as bias is just simply legitimate policy disagreements. Because I think there's, I mean, I think there's truth to both of those positions. But I'm with you, Tony. There's no winners, absolutely no winners. Matter of fact, in about 20 minutes, um, the incredible shrinking local newspaper. If you picked up Sunday's paper, there was uh, there was some incredible stuff in it and some other stuff not in it that you might miss. Stick around. It's 944, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up next, uh, a local community, a community in Illinois, as a matter of fact, creates all sorts of controversy with a parking sticker. We'll discuss. Stick around. 948, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, billions of dollars of downtown development is happening right now, but much of it couldn't have happened without the destruction of a freeway a long time ago. Gene Miller reflects on the long-term changes in the Park East Corridor in his latest blog on WTMJ.com. Okay, Orland Park, Illinois, suburb of, of Chicago. They have, every two years, 
They come out with new parking stickers that you need if you're going to park on the streets or overnight parking or whatever. You need to go buy a sticker. Um, this current two-year period, the sticker um, it has a it denotes Orland Park's involvement with the Department of Defense's observance of the 50th anniversary of the Vietnam War. The sticker before that one reflected the village's Lions Club on its 50th anniversary. So they do things to commemorate, I don't know, local groups, or in this case, you know, the Vietnam celebration. So the new stickers are coming out this spring. They'll be good for two years. Again, if you want to park on the streets, you have to buy them. The design this year is a Blue Lives Matter sticker. Um, at the top of it, the sticker, it says, Orland Park supports the police. And then beneath that on the sticker, it's a black and white American flag with a blue stripe running horizontally just below the field of stars. Um, this is, you may have seen this around, this is referred to as the thin blue line flag, and it's um, been associated primarily with the Blue Lives Matter pro-police movement that was formed in, the, in late 2014, partly in response to the Black Lives Matter. So the, the Orland Park sticker that you put on your cars, again, it's going to be, it says, Orland Park supports police, and then it's like the, the Blue Lives Matter flag. And that, that's, that's what it will be. Um, the mayor says, we want our local police and law enforcement across the country to know that Orland Park supports them. Police officers on all levels have heard a, had a hard time in the past few years, and it's time for people to thank them for their service. Um, interestingly, the interim village manager is a former Secret Service agent who took a bullet for the late President Ronald Reagan when he was shot. So that, that's uh, when he was shot uh, back in the early days of his administration. Um, so they're, they're making a statement. It is a pro-police statement. Many people support this. Awesome, excellent, way to go, Orland Park. One resident, however, says, this is terrible, it's wrong, and I deeply regret being forced by a civil authority to take a side in such a hot-button issue. Um, others feared that um, their windshields would be shattered if they had this sticker on their cars and they drove to places like Chicago, one said she felt that this is thumbing its nose at the Black Lives Matter movement and that Orland Park should rethink it. Okay, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Is this an inappropriate sticker for a community to put out? Like I say, they've done similar things. They've, well, they've, they've commemorated the 50th. The anniversary of the Vietnam War. They've done a 50th anniversary commemoration of the local Lions Club. This is their statement. Orland Park supports the police. It is on a sticker that you have to purchase if you want to park your car in the village. And some are upset. Should Orland Park back down? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. And if you live in a community that did this, what would you think? Nine fifty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Okay, Orland Park, which is a small community outside of Chicago. Every two years, they come out with a different design for the parking stickers you need to put on your car if you want to park overnight on the streets. This year, it's going to be 
a sticker that says Orland Park supports police, and under that would be the, the Blue Lives Matter symbol. And some people are unhappy. Mark in Hales Corners. Mark, you're first. Good morning. Uh, good morning, sir. Um, no, I don't think that they should back down at all for the simple fact that don't they have black police officers as well? I'm sure they do, it's, yeah. Yeah, so they're not just saying that the white police officers' lives matter. It's all the police, no matter, you know, race, color, or creed. Is um, it, do you think it, 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 when they say Orland Park supports police, is that, is that a political statement? Should, should people be able to, should people disagree with that, I guess? Well, you can disagree with it all you want, <laughs> but I don't think it's a political uh, statement at all. It's just supporting your local police. I, or any police. Yeah, th- thanks. No, see, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. Have we really got, I mean, see, that's, I look at this and I think, have we really gotten to this point in America in 2017 where a local community can't come out and make a statement, whether it's a banner that you're flying over Main Street or on a parking sticker that you are providing that says Orland Park supports police? I mean, is that really, are we now at this point where we, we don't support the police. And I guess if you've got people that don't support the police, okay, fine, don't support the police. But but that's your problem. And I do emphasize it's your problem. It's not, I think, representative of the overall community. Bob in Oak Creek. Bob, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. I, I think that they should rethink it and maybe just put we back the badge because the sheriffs don't wear blue. They wear brown. And maybe it is a little big on the Black Lives Matter because none of the people in America have blue skin. Well, right. So you you don't have a problem with the, the notion of a sticker that says support the police. You would just do it in a slightly different way? A slightly different manner. Like you see all of the signs out in the yards, we back the badge. Right. So I, I would think maybe that would be a little more appropriate than the Blue Lives Matter uh, symbol. Yeah, at the same time, I mean, I guess I understand, Bob, but at the same time, you know, blue lives do matter. I mean, blue, and I guess I just, I just don't think that this is or should be a pol- interpreted as a political statement. It now, it is definitely designed to say, you know, we support the police, but I think that is reflective of the community. Now, if you've got somebody in the community that doesn't like that. And well, my my response would be suck it up, Buttercup, and nope, just just put the overnight parking sticker in there. It's not to me like this is a political decal or anything of the like. I don't know how this is going to play out as it stands right now. Orland Park is not backing down. Like I say, you've got some of the usual suspects who are out there pushing on them on this, but I uh, I get the idea that they are going to fight it. And I. I would like to see the people coming up and formally saying, no, we, we've decided we don't support the police. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, I call the segment Dealer's Choice. Today it is the incredibly shrinking local newspaper. What is the future of print? Stick around. It's 959. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1008, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We call the segment Dealer's Choice Maybe not the most significant topic of the day, but one that I consider to be extremely talkable. Let me back into this. If you're a regular listener of this program, you know that I am a um, I'm a fan of newspapers. I grew up reading newspapers, and while when I'm getting ready for the show and things like that, I, I'm primarily getting information from various websites that I, I go to and I check out. 
I still, I still get a series of newspapers delivered to my home. Um, seven days a week, I get the Journal Sentinel. I get the USA Today, that's Monday through Friday. I get the Chicago Tribune seven days a week. I get the Wall Street Journal six days a week. And on weekends, I get the uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday New York Times. So I am, I think it's fair to say that when it comes to a, a consumer of not just the information, but an old line supporter of, of print newspapers, I, I'm right up there. And I, I don't have time to read all the newspapers cover to cover every day, but I, I do. Like yesterday afternoon, for example, I sat down an hour or two, and I, I mean, I, I went through the, the different Sunday papers. I, I've done that ever since I was a kid. I, I enjoyed that. A couple of weeks ago, I got the notice that um, my, my subscription to the Journal Sentinel w- was due, and it was like they, a, for a year, it was like a little north of three hundred bucks, and I, I thought that was a little bit much, but I, I, I just, I admit, I sent off the check, I, I renewed it because. And it's a local paper. You do what I want to do. You do what I do for a living, and you want to check it out. I will say this. If I knew what they were going to do, I'm not sure that I would have renewed the print edition. So yesterday morning, the, I get, again, it's the Chicago, Sunday edition of Chicago Tribune, New York Times, and Journal Sentinel. And I get the Journal Sentinel. And one of the things, I, I'm not a coupon clipper, so one of the first things I do is I take out all the sections that have the coupons in it. And once you take out the sections that have the coupons in it, there's really not that much left to, to the Sunday paper. But I, I start looking for the funnies because Hondo is producing the show. I grew up reading comics. I still like comic sections. And I can't find the comic section in yesterday's paper. And it's because there's no longer a standalone comic section. They have merged it with something else. And so then I, I read... A letter from, you know, the the editor, George Stanley. And this is, by the way, it's not going to be a bash on the Journal Sentinel. But um, here's here's a portion of the column that they write. What are the most valuable news stories we can offer you? How can we be of the greatest service to our community? We keep asking these questions as technological innovation transforms the news industry. We must evolve as folks spend more time with smartphones and less with ink on paper. Let me translate. They're gutting the newspaper again. Um, we are telling more stories with videos, podcasts, interactive graphics. We are using social networks like Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter to listen as well as share our work. We are building smartphone apps, sending mobile alerts, and emailing newsletters. And the space we have to tell stories in print is getting smaller. And that is because it costs a lot of money to produce a, a daily newspaper. It, and it's, you know, it costs money to buy the ink and buy the paper, and hire the people to deliver this. Where do we need, this is Stanley continuing, where do we need to focus our resources and attention? What do we have to give up in order to do that? Changes in today's paper reflect the most recent choices we've had to make. Our Sunday fresh and comic sections have been combined with fresh in front and comics in the back. That's why there's no longer a separate comic section. Our weekly at-home decorating feature will now appear every other Sunday, alternating with the fresh ideas column of home improvement tips. We've kept all the puzzles, but cut four comics. Our Sunday business and crossroads sections have been combined. So no more separate business section as a general rule, with the exception here. With business in front and crossroads in the back. Crossroads is their opinion thing, so they're merging that. We've reduced stock listings primarily to those of local interest. Death notices remain behind business. Um, it goes on. You'll also see print edition changes during the week. Business news will appear in the A section 
behind local, national, and world news, um, remaining a standalone section only on Wednesday. So in other words, the business section is essentially, it's not gone, but it's gone as a standalone. They'll stick a page or two at the back of the regular section. A full editorial page will appear on Wednesdays with just letters from readers running on other days of the week. Our commentary team will be building a lively online forum for opinions and debate, including a broad range of Wisconsin voices, etc., etc. Changes to the printed newspaper are unsettling to us as well as our readers. We make them reluctantly to keep costs of print and delivery in line with print revenue. So let, let me translate again. It costs a lot of money to, to put out the newspaper. The money that they are getting in, the revenue, is not sufficient to make a profit and keep producing the paper in its current form. So what they're doing is they're switching more stuff to online, which is, by the way, a very legitimate business decision. I get it. I understand. As more and as more and more people simply don't pick up hard copies of the newspaper, so they're, they're not getting the revenue they need from the, the print edition of the newspaper, so you're shifting over to more online which is how more and more people do, in fact, consume their news. So this isn't a question about bias. This is simply a question about, you know, just the economics of this. But the effect is the print edition of the paper gets smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where you start to wonder, why bother? All right, I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620 and 800-877-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Matter of fact, I have an announcement about that that we're going to be doing in just a little bit. But here's and here's my question. You know, moving forward, like I say, I'm I'm a fan of newspapers. And again, I'm, I'm not I'm not picking on the Journal Sentinel here, even though, candidly, if I knew that they were going to gut the the print edition of the paper like this. I, I'm wondering, you know, would I have renewed the print edition or would I have simply signed up for the online version, which, you know, you can get access to for a lot cheaper. But but this is the trend. I'm not faulting them. I understand that this is the business decision that you have to make. But if more and more papers are doing this, dramatically cutting down what they are physically putting in the paper, um, is there really, are there going to be print editions of newspapers five years from now or 10 years from now, if it's getting to the point that even people like me, who subscribe to a whole bunch of newspapers, are starting to wonder, gee, is there any real value to this? Should I just get an online subscription or whatever, save a ton of money, and, and not have to worry? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. I think this is a situation where, I, I mean, candidly, I get the business decision that they are making. But at some point in time, you get to the point of saying, all right, why, why are we even continuing to put out a print edition? People want the information, no question about it. And as they note, people are getting information more over the Internet and things like that. Are, are newspapers going to go away? 414-799-1620 is the number. What is the future? Let's start with Carol in Milwaukee. Carol, you're first. Good morning. Hi, good morning. I... Unfortunately, I feel like they're going to fade away. I'm, I'm older. I really like still having a hard copy right. in front of me. Um, it especially makes it easier to do the puzzles. But their service has gotten so atrocious over the last four or five years. It's, mm-hmm. It used to have to be um, delivered by 6 o'clock in the morning. I was still working, and 
they changed the time to seven, and sometimes it wasn't even there by then. I was gone by then, so I would see, you know, hopefully I would find it on my step when I came home, and that wasn't always there. And then they started um, goofing around with the um, payment option. I had, a, you know, a monthly mm-hmm. automatic payment. It started out being at the begin or about the middle of the month, and that was fine. And then it kind of crept forward, forward, forward. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, about a month and a half ago, it went like two weeks forward into the previous month. Mm-hmm. And being on a fixed income, I wasn't expecting it to be coming out then. And they're like, well, we can't guarantee when we're going to take it out. And I'm like, excuse me? Yeah. But I, I, it's a computer. Why can't you? Right. I, I, yeah. I mean, I need to know when you're going to deduct money from my account. Now, thanks for calling, Carol. I guess... See, those are some of the logistical issues. But to me, the, the bigger point is, is is content, and and I I get it. I understand print. The ink costs money. I understand the paper costs money. I understand that there is a challenge to physically producing this. But if you get to a point where, and so I mean, it makes sense to me. Okay, we're pushing more stuff online. We're going to do podcasts. We do podcasts. I mean, I get that. We, we you know you direct people to the website, but at some point in time. Do you reach a point where it's just there's nothing here? There, there's not enough. There is not enough physically in the newspaper that gets delivered to justify getting the print edition of the newspaper. You know, sign up. You know, you can do the online stuff. And I think candidly, they're they're close to that point. And honestly, if I had known they were making these changes a couple of weeks ago before I sent in whatever I did for the renewal. I would have thought long and hard about it. 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation next. It's Dealer's Choice, the incredible shrinking paper, in case you hadn't noticed. By the way, Dilbert is gone, too. Dilbert is gone from the business section. 1018, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1020, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I understand why the local newspaper is doing it, but at the same time, you reach a point where you start to say, Okay, should you just wave the red flag and say we can't make money putting out a print edition of a newspaper anymore? We're going to go all all digital because the the latest steps, the the business section is essentially as an independent section is going away except for one day. They'll they're going to still have business coverage, but it's going to be at the back of an A section. Um, sports, I guess, is going to be untouched. The opinion page, with the exception of Wednesdays, going to be nothing but letter to the editors. I guess um, it, at some point in time, do you kind of say? Oh, all right, if if digital is the future, let's just do it. 414-799-1620. Jane in Janesville. Jane, good morning. Good morning. Yes, yesterday's paper, the fresh section, has shrunk. Yep. Now they have the funnies in there. They have, Nancy Stowe's does a fabulous job. They have a wonderful food section. But I was really disappointed, and we, too, get five newspapers a day. And I think there are a lot of people that really enjoy reading the paper. Yeah. And I understand all the particulars, you know, the ink, the paper, the, you right. know, but it's it's really sad. I would rather hold a newspaper than look on my iPhone. Uh, okay, uh, Jane, let me ask you, uh, this is not a nice question for a gentleman to ask a lady, so I apologize I up front. Uh, how, how old I am, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right, that is not a nice question uh, uh, Okay. All right. Fair. All right. Fair. I'm old enough to know better. Oh, okay. Fair enough. No, thanks. So, no, I, I I appreciate it. That was not a nice question. But but the truth of the matter is, again, people like you and me, Jane, we we are the the dinosaurs. I I'm willing to bet that most people under the age of thirty or maybe thirty five, unless they pick up a hard copy of a newspaper when they're sitting in their dentist's office or they're sitting you know, waiting for their oil to be changed at a car dealer or something like that, 
people don't get the hard copies of the newspaper anymore. They're simply not buying it enough. And so these are the choices that are made. But you do get to a point, and then the you know the editor goes on and says, "Well, I understand this is a tough time, but I, I'd really like you encourage you know people to you know subscribe. Well, sub- subscribe to what? And again, I'm not I'm not complaining about content because I, I think you know they they do a, a good job. But if you're directing and you're putting more and more of the resources online, it's tough to expect people to pony up you know several hundred dollars a year for a subscription to a, a print edition of a paper." That is, is shrinking. And I mean, I just, this makes me wonder what the future, not only of the local paper is, but what the future of all the different newspapers are. You know, can you make a go of it? Jerry in Oak Creek. Jerry, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. The, you know, there are two ways that the, they make their money. One is advertising. Right. One is circulation. Right. And you can't get advertising if you don't have good circulation. Right. And when you cut the paper like they have, your circulation is going to go down because now there are less reasons to buy that yep. paper. I like I like our previous caller. I don't like reading books, magazines, and papers on a on any electronic device. Right. I still read the paper. Now I we go down to to Dallas once a year and visit our kids, and I read the Dallas Morning News, and they went out and asked their readers, "Would you rather we cut the paper or raise the price?" And they said, "Raise the price." So the circulation has stayed up, and the paper is still an excellent paper. Their business section on a daily basis is as thick as the whole paper that I get here now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and, and the other thing I think is, <laughs> if they would balance their news a little bit and not be so wild liberal, they might pick back up some yeah. of the conservative people who have left their readership. Yeah, I think, though, Jerry, that I, my guess is that ship has kind of sailed, I, I think. you know, I, yeah. and, and candidly, I mean, thanks to, I mean, now there's just less and less local coverage. They, they do some very, the local paper does some very good investigative reporting. And, I, I'm, th- and this, this, is not a ba- this is not a bash the reporters. It's not a ba- bash the content. But as far as, like, local beats and stuff, you, you, you don't see that. And more, of the stu- more and more of the stuff is, especially since they've been taken over by USA Today, I see a lot of the same stuff in USA Today that you see in, in the local paper. This is, it's, it's, a huge, it's a huge issue. Um, let's talk to uh, Mike in Fond du Lac. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Mike. Hi. I uh, love reading the paper. I'm 49 and a hard copy in my hand is right. what I prefer. I do read a lot on my iPhone as well, though. So I have got on Journal Sentinel's website. However, I had a bad experience with advertisers and pop-ups coming, right. and it just kept chewing up data, and it, that was a bad experience. So I still prefer that hard copy, and I would be willing to pay a little bit more if the paper had decent, you know, enough content in it. Right, they right, and, and that's right. yeah, that's the challenge. I mean, thanks. I mean that 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 is the challenge. It, it's making it is making ends meet. And look, and I I I, I know. Folks at the newspaper, this is not something that they that you want to do. But it's this, it's kind of the harsh economic realities of you, you've got you, you've got to figure out a way to keep afloat. And one of the ways you do it is by cutting costs, and that means cutting content and diverting more to digital. But at some point in time, again, the question is: Have you cut so much content that there, there's just nothing left? You say oh, we're going to be digital. We'll we'll produce a paper with coupons on Wednesdays and Sundays and. And then just otherwise, no hard copies. Natalie in Brookfield. Natalie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. 
Hi, good morning. I sent our dear George, um, a George dear John, <laughs> okay. email in response to his little crying session in the newspaper. Right. If you want me to read it very quickly, I can, and then give you his response. What, well, okay, sure. Okay, dear George, or should I say dear John, it appears that the time has long ago passed since sound and wise choices should have been made. Too bad you weren't listening. Whatever happened to the truth in journalism? When I took journalism some years ago, it was to report the news and let the reader make his or her own conclusion. It was not to be biased. And so much negativity. We also have a good population of wonderful, talented youth. For some time, we were not even aware that they existed, except in the sports section. There are how many schools in the city of Milwaukee and the metro area? Was there nothing to report about? The many accomplishments of these young people, you could have filled a section of its own on the youth, the elderly, the many, many volunteer programs, and their accomplishments. And how about the outrageous cost of the subscription? Oh, yes, the excuse of the cost, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now you are asking for our support. Where were you way back then when almost everyone got the paper? And we also had a morning and evening paper. Those presses were so hot you could see the steam for miles around. Too bad. So sad and way too late. You should have had your ears cleaned and listened a long time ago. And the response you got quickly was? His response was more of the same. We get an equal amount of criticism for being biased from liberals and conservatives, Republicans and Democrats. So I'll need to know which side you think we're biased toward before I can respond. We do report a great deal of stories on the good that people do and the heroes among us. Jim Stingle spends many of his columns writing about such people. I think, for example, our reporting of folks in the Sherman Park neighborhood showed up at dawn and to clean up yeah. the mess. So what's Park kind of the bottom I'm kind of up against the clock. What, what's the bottom line, essentially? Um, well, it says that he was right there working as a reporter and editor, and when they were expanding the sections and business setting records, the technological change has reshaped advertising, yep. retail, and news industries. Yep. Um, well, and that's, I, th- thanks for calling that. I mean, that, that, that's, see, that's all true. And again, this, this whole segment hasn't been about content and bias, at least not in my opinion. It's just, it is just the reality. But, you know, you have this incredible shrinking newspaper, and at some point in time, do you just want to say, okay, what, why do we even need to come out with a hard copy anymore? And that would be a loss. But if there's nothing going to be in the hard copy, and all you're going to do is direct people to the internet and the web, well, just direct people to the internet and the web. It's 1037, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Tomorrow marks the debut of Scafidi and Billstat, bringing you the day's big headlines with perspective, discussion, and a few laughs as well. Don't miss the first edition of Scafidi and Billstat tomorrow at noon here on 620 WTMJ. You know, the last segment of the program, we were talking about how, unfortunately, in some businesses you need to cut and cut and cut in order to try to keep your profit margins up or make money or stay afloat. I I, I will say this. um, After Charlie retired, all right, so they moved me into the, the 8.30 to noon time slot. And the, one of the big questions we've had over the last couple months, is everybody says, well, what's going to go into your old time slot, Jeff? And the, I, I have a lot of respect for station management because the easiest and cheapest thing to have done would have been to just go out, get some syndicated show, and plug it in there. That that would have been, trust me, easiest and, and cheapest. But that was, that was not what our station management was all about. It was about, hey, we, we want 
we want local people, we want local voices, we want to discuss and bring to you the issues of the day. And and again, I, I think Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstead are going to do a great job. But I, I do, I mean, it does say something about our station management that, that that's the commitment. It's we're going to spend the money, we're going to have actually live bodies here. It's not going to be something we're downloading from a satellite somewhere. And uh, tomorrow marks the debut of Scafidi and Bilstead. So be sure to check that out. Oh, speaking of that, in a way of an effort to try to, well, continue to keep up with technological changes and the way people interact with, with us, um, we, we've we've made a new change effective th- this morning with regard to our call-in line. Um, right now, we've simplified it. We, the, the call-in line, there is now just one, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk Line. In addition, though, and this is something very cool, it is also the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of the things that I noticed when we started doing the live streaming for, like, Facebook Live is that lots of people wanted to participate that way. I mean, I, I get I get a ton of emails. I, I do from people interacting on the show. But also, when we're doing, like, our live streaming on Facebook, people will be posting comments and things like that. It's a way of interacting. So what we're doing now is starting, actually, right now, it's – I'm. I'm looking at the line right now. If you want to participate in the program, you can do it the traditional way. Call, and they'll call up. I'd love to talk to you, 414-799-1620. But in addition, you can also send us text messages at that same number, and they pop up on this screen. And I think I'm probably going to have to break down and bring my glasses in to be able to read it. But right now, at least they will they pop up on, on the screen. So it is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620. And uh, we, it's just another way that we're trying to adapt because we know more and more of you like to participate by, again, texting us things and such like that. Okay, with that said, this is one of the more interesting stories of the day to me. And it highlights it highlights how tricky transgender issues are. Now, as a general rule, and this one kind of turns the discussion up on its on its end, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. As a general rule, the, the big dispute is what happens if you have, say, somebody who is biologically a boy with boy body parts who identifies as a girl and wants to use the girl's restroom or locker room. Should they have an absolute right to do that or, or vice versa? This is the flip side of the story. Um, the kid's name is Mac Beggs. Actually, the, actually, Mac was born Mackenzie. Mac was born as a girl, right? Girl body parts and, and the like. So Mac is biologically a girl, right? About two or three years ago, uh, according to Mac, um, he says, you know, he, he just he came to this conclusion that he was in fact transgender. He said, I just he said, I don't know how to describe this exactly, but I, I feel like I am a boy trapped in a girl's body. So Mac, who is biologically a girl, started um, he said, Okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut my hair, I'm going to change the way that I, I dress, and two years ago Mackenzie, now Mac, began taking supplements to begin his physical transition. Um, he, he's taking 
testosterone. You start taking testosterone two years ago. So ultimately, this is this is a biological girl who intends to become a, a man, a boy, at some point in time. And they're already, you know, they're already taking the supplements and things like that. Okay, so Mackenzie now Mac, um, likes is a high school wrestler. Is a high school wrestler. And here's where it gets complicated. Again, biologically a girl. But in the process of transitioning, taking hormones, taking testosterone, I don't know what this all is, but in the process of of doing this, and it's kind of, I guess, a a lengthy process. So in Texas, they have girls wrestling and they have boys wrestling. So now Mac, biologically a girl, but taking testosterone in the process of changing their gender, wants to go out for the wrestling team. And actually says, I think I should be wrestling as a boy because I consider myself to be a boy. Texas comes in and says, no, the, the way we do this is it's based on your, your birth gender. And since you have not completely transitioned, no, you've got to wrestle as a girl. And so the, the kid is saying, well, but I, I identify as a boy. I'm taking all this testosterone. Um, fine. One of the things that they also notice is since... The kid, since Mackenzie, now Mac, has started taking all these supplements and hormones and testosterone and all this stuff. She, now he, has gotten a lot stronger. I mean, it's just, it's part of the thing that's, you know, transitioning from a female to a male. But Texas says, you got to wrestle in the girls' thing. Well, a number of girls won't compete against her slash him. I don't mean that in a in a derogatory way. Um, because they say, well, this isn't right. Um, he is a lot stronger than, as a result of all these hormones and a result of the, taking the testosterone, is a lot stronger than, than the girls who aren't taking this. So over the weekend, Texas High School Wrestling Championship, Texas makes him, and I say him because he says he's a him, wrestle against the girls. He wins the state girls championship, even though he says, hey, I'm a boy. A lot of the girl, he's apparently getting booed. Um, A lot of the girls wouldn't even compete against him. Everybody acknowledges that because he, she, now he, is taking all this stuff, it gives him an unfair, it gives him probably an unfair advantage. But Texas says, hey, biologically, it's still, he's a girl, so he's got to wrestle against the girls. This is the flip side of, of what we normally talk about. All right, think about this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right, how should this have been handled? Should he, biologically a girl, but now taking all these testosterone things in the process of transitioning, should he have been forced to compete against girls, or should he have competed against boys, which... While he hasn't made the full gender transformation, he's in the process of doing it. How should this have been resolved? Should he not have been allowed to compete at all because of of the different drugs he was taking? 414-799-1620. Everybody seems to agree it's not fair to the other girls to make them compete against him. But the rule is he's biologically still, he's got female body parts. What should have happened here? Think about it, and we'll discuss. 1045, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
1048, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Man, how did things get so complicated? Brenda in Milwaukee. Brenda, good morning. You're first. Good morning. So what, ha- what happens? You've got the biological girl who's taking hormones at, and, and testosterone who they say you still have to wrestle against the girls even though he now says, hey, I'm a he. I should wrestle against the boys. It is unfair, first of all, to the girls' team. And Max should be allowed to wrestle with the boys because his testosterone levels are a lot higher. He's a lot stronger by by far. Right. And I've seen people transition, and the strength of that man is a incredibly higher than the woman or all the women that he would wrestle. So the the people who say it's not fair to the other girls, they have a point. It just be, because he's taking he's taking the he's taking these drugs to you know complete the transition that gives him an unfair advantage. Even though biologically he still doesn't have boy body parts, he has an unfair advantage over all the other girls. You don't have to have the boy body parts. It's the thing with the hormones. Right. Right. The hormones is it. That is what's causing him to be a lot stronger. So he should be allowed to go ahead and practice. He's changed his name. He's changed everything right. um, to be a boy, except the body parts. Right. No one would know what his body parts are right. if he did not let them know. So in this case, regardless of what's on his birth certificate, you think he should be wrestling against the boys, not the girls? That's correct. Okay, thanks for call. 414 800-877-1620. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Gary in Sussex. Gary, good morning. Hi. Hi, Gary. Uh, well, I consider Mackenzie a girl. I don't care what she thinks she is. She's a girl. And uh, my son's a wrestler. And he wrestled in high school. He wrestled girls. The girls are allowed to wrestle. And, you right. know, once in a while, you get a girl that's pretty good. But, you know, you never want to lose to uh, a female if you're a guy. But if this gal is taking... Uh, performance-enhancing drugs like testosterone, um, no, that's a big disadvantage for the other girls, and I think that she, that she should wrestle the guys. So, okay, all right, so you, you think that they, they, that Mackenzie Mack should have been allowed to compete, but should have been competing against the boys, not the girls? Yes, only because she started using performance-enhancing right. drugs. Would, that, would you think that, that would that give her, her slash him an unfair advantage over the boys that he would be wrestling? No. Okay. Because guys have testosterone growing inside. Now, even though I'm 65, it's, it's probably a little bit lowering a little bit for me. But <laughs> as, a, as a young kid, right. it's growing like crazy as testosterone. Got it. No, right. No, no, thank you. No, I, I mean, I hear all those ads we run. You know, like this, this, as you get older, that's, that's what they say. The testosterone the testosterone drops. I'm trying to fight that. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Ann in West Milwaukee. Ann, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. So um, I think it's, it's pretty clear that um, that while transitioning, <clears throat> it, they shouldn't be competing because you're really not one or the other. You haven't completed a transformation yet. Mm-hmm. And if you if you if athletes want to undergo a transition, great. Okay, that's your choice. But when it comes to competing, because there's so many variables now, right. as you're going through the process, 
that it's not going to be fair to one team or the other. It might not be fair to the athlete. And so athletes that are undergoing the transition while they're transitioning should not be able to compete. Well, so I think complete. I think it is. It's clear to me that the child should not have been wrestling against the girls because the 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 drugs that they were taking um, clearly, I think, gave the, the child an unfair advantage over you know the girls who weren't going through that. So, I mean, I I think Texas is dead wrong in that. I guess that the more difficult thing to me is if the child wanted to compete against the boys, and and you decided this that the testosterone or whatever else the child was taking didn't give him an unfair advantage about the boys, that, that to me is a tougher question. But we would both at least agree he, he shouldn't have been wrestling against the girls. Well, do you think that um, that if the testosterone levels weren't high enough that it, it might be unfair to the athlete to have to compete against boys? That's why, you know, there's right. another whole element there. So. Right. And I, and, I, and I honestly, I mean, thanks. I honestly don't know enough about the science to have an, an opinion about that. I think there's, there's no question that the, the drugs that the child was taking, at least, and I don't think anybody argues that, gave them an unfair advantage over the other girls. Because that's what they talk about. They say once, once, and I'm going to call him he because he identifies the he, once he started taking these various treatments in 2015, um, muscle mass changed, got lots and got bigger, got stronger. And that's clearly, I think, in, in large part, probably due to the, the hormones, the testosterone, whatever this is. So those those drugs clearly give him an advantage over the girls uh, the, who aren't taking these drugs, and I don't think that's fair. Um, whether or not whether or not he would be at a disadvantage competing against other boys because the transition isn't complete. That's again, I don't know enough about the the science um, for that. Let's talk to. Um, Let's see, John in Waukesha. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, John. Uh, I agree with you. I don't think uh, Max should have wrestled uh, the girls. Um, I think it's noteworthy that Wisconsin is one of the states that only has wrestling. They don't have girls. They don't have boys. They just have wrestling. Okay. So girls that want to wrestle uh, have to wrestle boys. Okay. So they go into it knowing that they're at a little bit of a disadvantage having to wrestle boys. Right. And I'm also glad that Mac wasn't fighting to wrestle girls. Right. Yeah. He wanted to wrestle boys. Yeah. See, that's what makes this so interesting because normally the normally the story is you've got the biological boy who identifies as a girl who wants to play on the girls' volleyball team or something, but they're bigger, right. they're stronger, all of that, and they're they're getting an advantage. This is this is why I think it's such an interesting story because it's the flip side. The kid is like, hey, I actually want to wrestle with the against the boys, I identify as a boy, and Texas won't let him do it. Yeah. I, I'm with you, and I think Texas got that one wrong. They yeah. shouldn't have uh, put him in with the girls. Right. Now, think, and see, now, and Texas just says, hey, look, we have to, and this is, this is why this whole transgender thing has all these different nuances, because, I mean, Texas says, hey, it's simple. You know, we go by the gender that's on your birth certificate. And as a general rule, I, I think I understand why people take that position, but in this particular case, by not recognizing the fact that you have a child that is in transition, you've essentially, I, I don't know, and again, it, it's its wrestling, but at the same time, you've given that child an advantage that the child doesn't even really want by making him compete against other girls who don't have those uh, hormone levels. Hmm. The world is just getting so complicated. It's 1056, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We've been talking a lot about immigration for the last several months. And I understand the argument, what, what part of illegal don't you get? I also understand the argument that if an immigration authority or an official comes into contact with somebody who is illegally in this country, it's tough, if not impossible, to ask them to turn their backs and and walk away. So I I get all that. I also acknowledge and believe that you you cannot have open borders. You can't have a a country where we, we don't restrict who comes in, and if you come in illegally, you can stay here as long as you want because there is a drain on social services. I mean, again, absent what they do in the European Union, where there's at least some ability to, to move between you know countries as part of the union, nobody, no country allows people to just you know come in and stay. Uh, and that's one of the things that's one of the things that's frustrating to me about the like the days without immigrants things. I mean, these people are pushing for open borders, and nobody ever calls them out on it. Having said that, though, I am also a realist. There's a real interesting editorial in the Chicago Tribune the other day um, talking about this. Here's the headline. It says, Trump's immigration crackdown is a costly mistake. America needs these workers. Um, Here's what it says. It says that immigrants here illegally, so illegal aliens, make up almost 5% of the U.S. workforce. 5%. 5%. They are concentrated in industries that desperately need them now. Agriculture, construction, hospitality, and caregiving, to name a few. I would add in Wisconsin, the, the dairy industry. Um, the editorial says, we can't throw them out and replace them with legal workers because our immigration system will not admit enough of them. And no, this is the editorial page, American workers are not lined up to take those jobs, especially with unemployment at less than 5%. Studies show those 11 million immigrants are responsible for about $150 billion a year in spending. They pay an estimated $7 billion a year in Social Security taxes, even though they'll never collect, and $11.6 billion in state and local taxes, despite being ineligible for Medicare and some benefits. It goes on to say that deporting these immigrants is a self-defeating exercise. Um, They estimate that about a fourth of the nation's farm laborers are um, immigrants here illegally. And those are people, of course, we depend to pick our fruits and vegetables. And they argue that deporting them or chasing them away would lead to huge labor headaches for growers and higher prices for consumers while crops rot in the field. Losing that workforce, and again, these are estimates, could shift up to 61% of U.S. fruit and vegetable production to other countries because of labor shortages. Imagine, you know, what that would do to costs. All right, that's what the Chicago Tribune is saying. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And once again, I understand the argument of what part of illegal don't you understand. But... One of the realities is that a number of the people who are in this country illegally are working at jobs that Americans probably don't want to do and wouldn't do, especially with low unemployment rates. And so the question becomes, as a practical matter, 
if we round up large numbers of people who are working in these these fields and send them back, is that going to be a net gain for this country? Or is it going to decimate certain industries? And again, in Wisconsin, I'd focus on the dairy industry, but a lot of these industries, again, like agriculture or things like that, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. So I guess what I would like to discuss with you is this basic premise. Are at least a good portion of the people who are in this country illegally, are they taking jobs from American workers, or instead are they providing necessary services and working in fields and areas that American workers really have no interest in and if they were gone, if the you rounded up all the illegal immigrants and sent them back to wherever, I mean, would would Americans fill those jobs, or would the jobs just simply go wanting? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And by the way, again, it's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line now. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. So you can call, and I'm actually I'm checking our text as well. So you can text as well. How about that? It's 1114, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1116, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Chicago Tribune had an editorial over the weekend essentially saying if, if we really did round up and deport all 11 million people who are in this country illegally, you would decimate certain industries. Um, do, do you buy that? Scott in Burlington. Scott, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Yeah, it's... Um it's a problem. I get on a lot of different dairy farms across southern Wisconsin, and there's a couple farms that had been affected by immigration in the last five years, but a lot of our smaller family farms don't have that issue. Right. I mean, they're just small family-run dairy farms. I've got a couple of customers that, um, you know, they're in that medium size, and it's going to affect them, um, but... Well, I mean, yeah, obviously, like the family farms and the small farms, I, I suspect that they don't have as much of a dependence. But for for the right. big farms, and especially maybe even not in Wisconsin, but uh, let's even forget about dairy farming. For a lot of the the big ac- agricultural you know places where you're talking about you know going around picking whatever, I got to believe that there's a lot of people who are working working in the fields probably aren't here legally. I would imagine so. You know, and I think the other one, some of the beef packing plants, um, jobs that are too dirty for Americans that are too strenuous, I think there might have been some of that, too. Right. And uh, I'll be honest, it's really hard finding people that want to work. I have three customers all that are looking for jobs and or that are looking for people to help. Yeah. And when you get, you know, 25 responses and have four people call that want to set up an interview and then have only one person show up. Right. That's a problem. And we're trying to pay these people good money. And well, and it's hard work. Yeah. I mean, it's hard work. Yeah. No, thanks. I mean, it, it's hard work. Um, and, you know, it, it's one thing, you know, when we were talking about record employ- unemployment levels a few years ago, when you, you know, you had unemployment pushing 10% or whatever, you know, now that unemployment is down to, you know, some of its traditional areas, like around 4 or 5%, it's, it is definitely difficult. Um, let's see. On our text line, Kevin and Mequon writes, I think um, deportation wouldn't lead to a labor shortage. 
but instead a bigger push to automation. Right now, there isn't a push because employers can take advantage of you know illegal workers and keep labor costs down. I don't necessarily believe that Americans don't want the work, but an immigrations can't handle. Um, 414-799-1620, you know, that is one of the interesting theories that's out there. And I mean, that's what I've argued about this minimum wage push. Okay, you... You raise the fast food minimum wage to $15 an hour. And what I'm going to tell you is you're going to see jobs just completely disappear because then it will make more and more sense for the fast food places of the world to completely or almost completely automate. Um, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Dave in Green Bay. Dave, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, I I have family members in the trade, and I drive truck for a living, so I'm in and out of a lot of industry across the United States, and even farms. I'll tell you, I I think it would have a devast. I don't. I think the labor that comes up from Mexico or South America, we need that labor. We need mm-hmm. that. We need those people because uh, my wife is pretty well. She was she retired, but finding skilled tradesmen, bricklayers, even people who do the long hours that requires to build a home or work on a farm, I don't believe we're not having big families anymore where six, eight children, maybe people are having two or one. Uh, we need the labor to come up here. And I also, I, I'm not a liberal, but I think we're picking on the wrong country when it comes to these immigrants going in here. A lot of these, uh, say, Mexicans or Latin American workers I deal with and, you know, on docks, uh, are very good people, very mm-hmm. hardworking. I I don't see them as a problem. They might be in the drugs, but I just think. Well, there, I mean, there's clearly. I mean, th- I mean, there, there's clearly a percentage of of. Let's take the, the number that's thrown around. Eleven million people are in this country illegally. There is clearly a a percentage of those eleven million who are who are problems and troublemakers. Whether it's half a million or a million or two million, I I, I don't know. And I guess I've always felt that the deportation efforts should concentrate on identifying those people and getting them getting them out of the country. And then you try to wrestle with what's what comes next. Now, I, I fully acknowledge, though, that as long as you've got a law that says that people have to be deported, you can't be in this country illegally, you, you can't turn your back on the law. But I do seriously wonder, you know, what what is going to be the effect? And, you know, if you do say, okay, suddenly we're going to wave a magic wand and boom, you've got a lot of people who are working in these industries that we, we need bodies and we that a lot of people, myself included, believe that Americans aren't going to aren't going to fill those jobs, or at least they're certainly not going to fill the jobs unless you dramatically increase the pay. And if you dramatically increase the pay, what does that do to the companies? What does that do to the cost of things? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Barb in Pewaukee. Barb, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Um, I remember when I was a kid, we used to have migration camps, like the the people would mm-hmm. come up and pick the crops, work in the fields, um, work on the farms, and the employer, I think, was responsible for that. Right. And I'm just wondering if why can't we do that again? So you would support uh, allowing people in this country illegally for sort of limited purposes, in other words? Yeah. Uh, okay, after, yeah. would you would you let them stay after the, the season's over? You, you come in and... Pick oranges or pick, you know, whatever. Um, and then, okay, that season is over, and then they decide, that. would you send them back to where they came from? Would you say, okay, you have to, now now it's in season, 
move from Florida to California because now whatever is in season. How, how would you handle that? I I would put it on the employer, um, right. and I think if the employer wanted to sponsor the immigrant, mm-hmm. um, because I think that that is one of the issues right. um, to find sponsorship. And I think Boulder Club actually did similar when they were building when mm-hmm. the country was coming around. And so if we would have a worker and then they could go through the process of becoming a citizen. Um, Thanks. Well, that's, I mean, or at least, see, I have trouble with people who have come into this country illegally giving them a path to citizenship. I I do think maybe a path to permanent residency, which, which is, is a diff- is a very very different thing four one four seven nine nine one six twenty but I, I do think this is a discussion which we we need to have in the context of of, of immigration, which is you can't have open borders you, you you just you just can't and you can't turn a blind eye to people who have come into this country illegally, but at the same time, what are the consequences of crackdowns going to be and are we I mean, I will tell you, I am legitimately worried that let's say you do away with the proportion, like I say, they, they estimate that the estimates are about 5% of the, the people working in certain of these industries, uh, about 5% of the U.S. workforce is people in the country illegally, and that perhaps represents an even larger perspective, percentage of, again, some of these specialized industries like agriculture, and the idea is if you, I guess the big question is, would you be able to find U.S. workers who would be willing to do that work? And candidly, I kind of, I, I kind of doubt that. Let's talk to Jerry in Mayville. Jerry, you're in six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. I'm a first time caller, and thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Um, I think the real problem is uh, a little bit bigger, and I think that we should put the responsibility for the illegals on the employer. And I think we should develop a program to make these people legal. We don't want to deport anybody. But we do want them legalized citizens, or at least, so, or at least legalized residents, if not citizens. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Because they raise families, they have children. Those children are going to be U.S. citizens, uh, and on and on and on it goes. So let's make the employer uh, give some responsibility to that employer to take care of these people and get them legal. Um. So, in, in one in one right. shape or the other. As you know a pra- right, yeah, I do. As a practical matter, now, once you've come into this country illegally, it is almost impossible. If, if you self deport, you leave the country. It's almost impossible to come back into the country legally if you've been here illegally. Um, would you Would you support some sort of guest worker program or whatever that did extend to people who, if they've been in this country even five or ten years illegally? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, give them, give them, give rather than deportation or jail or anything else. Give them an avenue to be, become legal. These people are great people. Do you think they're and, taking and, jobs that Americans want to no. do? Yeah. Yeah, me no, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think they're taking any jobs away from anybody. And I also think that the employer has a responsibility of also uh, taking care and doing things legal. And and some of these. Some of these people are being paid cash, and that just deters from everybody else trying to make a living and and, and do things correctly according to the law. So yeah. no, I no, I get I, it. Think, I mean, I no, I, I I get it. I understand exactly, and that's and that see, that's the balancing act that I think we have to have. Okay, on our text line, 
Jen from Kenosha says, it would be nice to see the focus change to streamlining the process to citizenship, again, I would say legal residency, for those illegal immigrants that are here trying to earn a living and contribute to society. Um, another text, the solution is close the borders and create a guest worker program you know, to fill the jobs. And the way it works right now is we, we have a guest worker program, but it, it's structured in such a way that it, it doesn't allow enough people to come in fast enough to do those jobs. I just raise this as a point because it's the, the whole immigration thing is, is tricky, and I'm not trying to have it both ways. I, I do, if, if I were the king, I would be concentrating my deportation efforts on people who are in this country illegally and who have committed crimes. I wouldn't turn my back necessarily on other people who are in this country illegally. But for people who are in this country illegally who are contributing to society and doing work that Americans aren't going to want to do, I think we need to figure out some way to work out at least some legal residency, not citizenship. And at the same time, you you do have to close off the borders. You can't just continue to allow you know, half a million or a million people to pour in illegally into this country on a, on a yearly basis. It's 1128. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The newest WTMJ radio team takes to the air tomorrow. But what will Scafidi and Bill Stack be all about? The former Oak Creek mayor and the newest WTMJ host discusses his background and looks ahead to tomorrow's debut of Scafidi and Bill Stack. It's a special airing of WTMJ conversations, and it happens at noon today. So check that out. And, of course, check out the launch of our new Noon to 3 program starting tomorrow. Okay, um, this this is a, another one of these mind-boggling stories about local governments. Now, after if you live in Milwaukee County, after the last 15 years, n- nothing should surprise you. I mean, going back to the pension scandal where you had the then-county executive who cooked up this idea with the blessing of the county board and some cronies to come up with this idea that we're going to revise the pension system to allow some long-term employees to retire with million-dollar cash payments and, and still still come up with and still have pensions of seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 a year. Just absolutely just, just mind-boggling. And, of course, that's that has been an ongoing problem, and it will continue to haunt Milwaukee County for a, a number of years. Here's another story like this. Now, if you are like me, you have – your, your day-to-day expenses, and then maybe you have some money set aside for a rainy day. Rainy day fund, maybe it's a savings account, you know, maybe, maybe, whatever. You've got some money set aside for a rainy day fund, and sometimes it rains more than others. So maybe you're in a situation where you've got to dip into that, and but, but you, you keep track of it. And for most people, if you start to see that you are dipping into your bank account or your reserve fund, a lot, and it's going down a lot, and it's getting close to zero, well, red flags should be going up, including, hey, maybe I need to figure, I need to either earn more money, or, or maybe I, I need to figure out where the money's going, maybe I need to stop dipping in as much, and, and you typically do, but at least you watch what you are doing. Well, this brings me to a story that the Journal Sentinel ran over the weekend. It is perhaps, and I understand the significance of what I'm about to say, 
perhaps the most mismanaged school district in our area, in the state, and maybe in the country. Um, here's how the story starts. Um, Andrew Cromie knew when he signed on as the director of business services at the West Allis, West Milwaukee School District in October of 2014 that the suburban Milwaukee district had overspent its budget by $5 million and was dipping into its fund balance. That would be like the reserve funds. It was not a best practice, but sometimes there's legitimate reasons to tap those reserves, which every district keeps on hand for cash flow and emergencies. It wasn't until three months later that he started to suspect something was seriously wrong. While preparing for the annual debt payment, he found a reference to a $2.59 million bill for money borrowed to fund retirees' benefits that had never been budgeted. Alarmed, he began digging through district accounts, department by department. What he found was a muddy accounting system with few internal controls and millions of dollars in expenses that exceeded the district's budget or were never budgeted at. Bottom line, um, they found at least, and I hope you're sitting down, $14 million in overspending during two school years alone, 2013-14 and 2014-15, on everything from salaries and benefits to teachers' training and technology and questionable practices dating to at least 2007. Bottom line is, this school district, West Dallas, West Milwaukee, had $17.5 million in reserves. They have apparently blown through all of that, spent it just, what's the line from the movie, No Country for Old Men, where they, they say, you know, what would you do with the $3 million? And the guy says, well, I, I spent $2 million on whiskey and women, and the rest I just kind of peed away. Uh, so West Dallas, West Milwaukee, they have somehow, they have blown $17.5 million in cash through their cash reserves. They've spent it on everything and nothing. Apparently, no controls. Nobody can even figure out exactly how a school district with a $120 million budget could overspend by millions and millions of dollars and blow through reserves without anybody noticing. It's just, it is a complete and total nightmare. And I would say that the school district spent money like a drunken sailor, but the truth of the matter is that would be an insult to drunken sailors. And here is the ultimate adding insult to injury. Having blown through the reserves, having overspent in this fashion and done everything they possibly could do to recoup, you know, some of their, some of their losses, but still, you know, being in a hole in April, the school district will ask taxpayers to authorize an additional $12.5 million in spending over the next five years. So they're going to be having a referendum that essentially says, we have spent money like a drunken sailor, apologies to drunken sailors, we haven't had controls, we've blown through all this dough, the dough is gone, we don't have enough money, so taxpayers, we want you to authorize, we want you to give us more. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. It's, also, it's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. So now, 414-799-1620, you can call. You can also text. And we now, I, I check out all the different texts. Actually, put your name on the text, too, in case I decide to read it on the air. But uh, West Dallas, West Milwaukee, has a referendum this April. 
They want $12.5 million more from taxpayers over five years after having overspent a $120 million annual budget, after having blown through $17.5 million in reserves without any good explanation for where the money has gone. Now they want more from you. What should the taxpayers say? That, okay, we're going to give you the dough because it's for the kids, or fool us once, you know, shame on you. Fool us twice, shame on us. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss next. It's 1142. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1146, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, the Accident Mortgage Talk, and now text line, 414-799-1620, rich texts. Uh, Jeff, you're saying that the West Dallas School Board is like drunken sailors. No, it's actually like drug addicts. Yeah, he's got he's got a point. I mean, seriously, how do you overspend a budget by $14 million in two years alone? You've got a budget of $120 million. You've got reserves of $17.5 million. They have blown through this in a way that almost nobody can explain, and now they're going to the taxpayers of West Dallas in April and saying, gee, we've blown through all this money, we've spent money like a crackhead, like a drunken sailor, and and now give us an extra $12.5 million. Betty in West Dallas. Betty, you're on 620 WTMJ. Thank you for taking my call. Hi, Betty. In addition to everything else that you've probably heard and read in the paper, about four to six weeks ago, I, I'm not sure exactly when because I've had the flu and I haven't been able to go to any of the meetings or anything, but I heard on a radio, on a different radio station that when they had their board meeting, the superintendent arranged to have comedy sports come <laughs> to entertain the board and himself and whoever. And uh, it was funded by the, oh, sure. the, by the public funds. Um, and, you know, I wonder how many more of this sort of activity has been going on. And then to ask, to sit there and have the audacity to yeah. ask the taxpayers to make up the difference. And they want to raise your taxes at the rate of $60 for every $100,000 your home is worth. Yes. And, and, of course, you know, try explaining that to the people in West Dallas and West I Milwaukee. I live in West Dallas. Yeah, right, yeah, right who, who are on fixed incomes or whatever. I am. Yeah, <laughs> So you're you're not getting a twelve point five million dollar bump, my guess is, Betty. I'm not getting any bumps. I'm retired. Yeah. My income is totally fixed. Yeah, I just and it, they are acting like drunken sailors. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Well, I mean, how do you blow through seventeen point five? I mean, how do you blow through seventeen point five million dollars in reserves with nobody knowing anything about it? No, thanks for the call. Let's talk to Bill in Oconomowoc. Bill, you're on six twenty WTMJ. I don't agree with them having no accountability for going through the funds, but uh, you're going to have to help me out on this, Jeff. How much have we taken out of uh, the public education system in the last six years? Well, Just give me a generic number. Well, Jeff. actually, some people would argue we haven't taken anything out of the public education well, system. That yeah, we've given but, people the tools to keep on, but you're not going to seriously blame this on Act 10, are you, Bill? Well, Jeff... You you're not seriously going to blame this on Act 10, are you, Bill? Money, uh, Jeff, Jeff. Yeah, it's a yes or no question. You're not seriously going to blame this on Act 10, are you, Bill? Question mark. <laughs> okay, Jeff. Hey, if you want to dance with me, go ahead. Well, it's, it's, it's a yes or no question. Are you seriously going to blame this on Act 10, Bill? Question mark. Yes. Yes. Here's yes. the answer. You can't take money, give it to the public or private schools, 
and then wonder why public schools can't function. You well, can't just follow Okay, this, well, see, here's the deal, Bill, and I can't, here's the deal, Bill. First of all, most public school systems in the state have managed to deal with Act 10. As a matter of fact, under Act 10, a lot of them are thriving. The problems in this school district go back to 2007, this which you know predates Act 10. I don't think anybody is seriously suggesting that the $14 million in overspending in 2013 and 2014 was because of Act 10. It was because they decided they wanted to have teacher training, they wanted to um, raise salaries, they wanted to provide benefits that they could not otherwise afford, and they got involved in a bunch of questionable investment practices. Um, Look, I mean, here's the reality. This is not going on in other school districts. Matter of fact, there's a lot of school districts that have used Act 10 as an effort to, like, shore up their, their finances. But the bottom line of all this is this is just pure mismanagement. Nobody is suggesting, gee, we weren't able to work within the constraints of Act 10. The district has a budget of $120 million. They couldn't figure out how to make do on $120 million. Dollars. Um, let's see. Uh, Mike writes, Jeff, I graduated from the West Dallas, West Milwaukee school system back in 1971. On behalf of all drunken sailors, I accept your apology. My question is, who is going to jail? This sounds like more than mismanagement. It sounds criminal. Well, I don't I don't I don't think this is a situation where the, the, the people that were running it were lining their own pockets. I think what was happening is they they set out to, hey, we want to make. We want to spend the dough, and we, we want to do all this, and we want all the new bells and whistles, and we want the new buildings. Um, let's see. They, they dipped into the fund balance, almost $2 million for a new school building for Lane Elementary, $6.5 million for its district offices and adjacent school on South 70th Street. I mean, it's kind of like one of those things where you say, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, our, our offices – we could we could use some nice new offices, so let's let's dip into the emergency fund to draw that. No, I I don't think this. I don't get the sense this is criminal. I get the sense that this is just gross fiscal mismanagement. But what is even more stunning to me, and I guess I should not be surprised by this, given what we see. You know, I mean, Milwaukee County, classic example. I just can't believe that there are no checks and balances there. And again, I I, I try to personalize the stuff to where I work. I have, there is a lovely woman who sits down at the end of the hallway that I'm looking at who scrutinizes everything, um, you know, who, who scrutinizes, you know, everything that's there and, you know, is responsible, you know, for other people than above her in the corporation for explaining where money goes and why we made decisions on spending money and things like that. And, you know, this idea that we're suddenly going to spend millions of dollars that we do not have or they're sitting in rainy day funds without anybody, you know, analyzing. Now, Pam writes, um, it was not the school board that spent it. It was the administration. They never came to the board to ask the purchase items that weren't in the budget. Um, now, that's, 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 I think, a very real question as well. I mean, if you're on the school board, shouldn't you be checking out these things? Or, you know, if the administration is just treating this, this dough as its own personal piggy bank. But if this goes on, this is what you have. So now here's the real question. Will the taxpayers in West Dallas and West Milwaukee 
bail out the incompetence of the school officials. And I guess, you know, you can decide. I don't live in West Dallas, West Milwaukee. I'm not going to be voting on that referendum. But if given the mismanagement of the administration over the course of the last 15 years, if you taxpayers in West Dallas and West Milwaukee decide to raise your taxes, especially like our fixed income folks like Betty, um, you decide to raise your taxes to pay for the fiscal mismanagement of the administration, that that is God's way of telling you that everybody in West Dallas, West Milwaukee, who votes in favor of this referendum, you have too darn much money. It's 11.56, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Like I say, um, we're debuting today the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. And moving forward, you will be able to not only call up and get on the air, but you'll also be able to send us texts, which I will check out during the course of the show, in addition to sending me emails. should be a lot of fun. Hey, the newest WTMJ radio team takes to the air tomorrow, but what will Scafidi and Bill Stat be all about? The former Oak Creek mayor and the newest WTMJ host discuss his background and look ahead to tomorrow's debut of Scafidi and Billstat. It's a special airing of WTMJ Conversations. We're going to play it in just a couple minutes, right after the noon news. And then from 1 until 3, WTMJ Today with Eric Billstat and Tracy Johnson. Then, of course, tomorrow, uh, Scafidi and Billstat. As I was saying earlier, I um, I am... The question I've been asked the most over the last several months is, okay, what's going to be in your old time slot? What's going to be in noon to three? And I do, I I give management a lot of credit because the easiest, cheapest alternative would have been, oh, I'll just go find something syndicated. But they worked really hard, and I think think you're going to like Scafidi and Billstat. So be sure to check that out. All right, um, some more sad news over the weekend. Um, And this this is another one of these stories that, that has me, Again, thinking about the, the meaning of life. Um, Bill Paxton, uh, the actor, star of Titanic. Um, I, he was in Aliens. Um, he's, I think he's, the movie I think he might be best remembered for is Twister. They, they just show Twister all the time. And I actually like the movie Twister. Anyhow, um, he passed away at the age of 61. The details are, are not quite clear, but apparently he was having heart surgery and there was complications of that. And you just, Maybe I'm just getting to this certain age that you hear people in their late 50s and their early 60s starting to pass away and just sort of out of the clear blue. I'm Carrie Fisher being another one of those. And and maybe, you know, people in your own life. And it's just it's got people like taking taking stock and going, wow, what's the uh, you know, life? Life is short. So Bill Paxton, uh, Paxton, who was, I was a big fan of his, um, passes away at the age of 61. I am out of time. I'm back at 8.30 tomorrow morning when we do it all again. WTMJ Conversations, then followed by WTMJ Today. Stick around. It's 11.58. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.